So it's chapter 29 and we're going to beginning at verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Eleazar, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Okay, we're going to go over to Luke now. And it's Luke chapter 9 we're heading for. Verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get ready things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. That's good. Let's bow our heads, please, guys.
Our Lord, we come before you, Father, with many things on our mind, things that have been done, things that have been said, things to do, Lord. I just clear our minds, Father, that our word may be placed in it and it will flow into our hearts, Father. For, Lord, we want you to come to us and we want to draw to you ever more closely each day. Amen. So continuing on, we're just kicked the halfway line in this series of, um, on Babylon. So we've looked at where Babylon is, what it does. So now we're going to answer the question, how do you live in Babylon? How do we live well in Babylon? Thanks, Stuart. Walking and living in Babylon. So the trip we face on earth, across earth, we must get correct. Babylon, and we'll see that later on in this, is finite. They were in captivity in, uh, in Babylonia. The, the, the Israelites were in captivity for 70 years. And God gave them advice how to live for those 70 years in captivity. And we're going to look at that advice now. That's why we went, went to Jeremiah 29. Whatever trip we're on in, in, on this earth, on the face of this earth, we're on a trip of spiritual conquest. It is not physical conquest. Uh, I think the, the, the days that we live in these days is more and more about physical conquest and certainly less and less about spiritual conquest. But if I think life is only a physical conquest, I'm going to grasp in my own soul that life is a, a, a playground and not a battleground. So I can, dunce, I can indulge myself in, uh, in my ways, the ways that Babylon shows me. Now, some of these things are morally neutral, they're not wrong, but they're distracting. But if I grasp that life is a spiritual conquest, every day I walk across the face of this earth, which is Babylon now, if I grasp that it is my soul that lives forever, I'm going to see that this life is not a playground, it is a battleground. I've been trying to tell my children that for some years, well, for many years, decades, that life is a battleground, it's not a playground. But we go out to play. Our life is consumed with play or creating the opportunity to play. Big boys' toys, don't I love them? But they're playing. That's not battling. We are in a trip that will finish. It will finish for the world. It will finish for everybody on the world. And the body I have now, thankful for the good Lord, will not be the body I have when I'm resurrected, the resurrection body. So what I take through, what I take through this earth must be that which will bring me spiritual success. Physical success is nice, but it's not permanent. Spiritual, spiritual success is forever. So let me recap on the last couple of weeks. Babylon versus Jerusalem. It's the restless versus the settled, the distressed versus the peaceful, the burdened versus the blessed, the consumer versus those, those who are content. Now, each in, just in your heart, which would you rather be, restless or settled, distressed or peaceful, burdened or blessed, consumer, a, a consumer or content with what you have? I don't think that's a hard question to answer, is it? I just want to be on the right-hand side of those, that, those two columns. I want to be settled, I want to know peace, they go hand in hand. I want to be blessed and I want contentment, I don't want striving. But what Babylon does, it teaches us to strive. Now, 
And of course, in our striving to get more, in our striving to accrue debt, which is how we get more, I've become a consumer and I've lost my sense of contentment. Now, none of these things were in Eden. Restlessness, distress, burden or consumerism. They were not in Eden. And Eden was where God made, his, made mankind to live. But mankind does not live with those four things now. They're being settled, being peaceful and blessed and content. He lives with the world that now is resistant to God, rebellious to God. And so it teaches us to do the same. And whatever it keeps us discontent, it keeps us moving, from, moving away from the grace of God. In Eden, there was no attempting at better. In Eden, there were no burdens to bear. There were no weeds in the garden. In Eden, there was no opportunity for distress. In Eden, Adam was at peace. That's what God has for us. But it's not what we have now. So we are in a position of spiritual conquest that we too will feel settled. We too will gain peaceful. We still will become blessed and will know contentment. Choose Jerusalem, the city of peace, to head to, as Jesus did resolutely, or you choose Babylon and then you lose the city of peace. So where have we been for the last two weeks? I've got a quick summary here. Babylon has morphed from being a state to being a state of mind. So Babylon is far more now than just that intersection of the Tigris and Euphrates River, that, that fertile crescent where civilization developed. Babylon is where rebellion is formed. It chooses for us how we live and none can escape its influence. Don't get lost as you head to Jerusalem. One takeaway from the first, uh, first sermon on this was don't get lost as you head to Jerusalem. Don't become in a position of rebellion against the Lord. That's loss of spiritual conquest. If I grasp the whole nature of spiritual conquest, I set my eyes resolutely, as the good Lord did on Jerusalem, you're going to get flack. We'll talk more about that. But Jesus got flack in that passage. The Samaritans gave him a hard time because I've set my sights on Jerusalem. Last week we looked at Babylon seeks only those who are best to elevate. And in this passage today from Jeremiah 29, it talks about the artisans and the tradesmen that, that Babylon took out of, uh, took out of uh, Israel and took the 2,300 kilometres to Babylon. All the best. It educates us. Babylon educates us to assimilate us to all its corrupt but delightful ways and rewards. That image last week in uh, chapter 1 about how Daniel, was, Daniel and his mates were sitting at, the good, uh, at, the, at uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's table and they had all the good food to eat. And then uh, Daniel decided he wouldn't eat the good food. I don't know if I'd be so strong. What sort of food would you like at a king's table? I think I'd expect um, a scone with jam and cream. I think there'd probably have to be a mud cake there. And I really do like a nice st uh, salmon steak. Uh, what else would we have there? Uh, hmm? Pheasant. We'd have pheasant. I didn't think of that. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, we'd have pheasant and we've certainly got our pizza, haven't you? Go to the three major food groups, pizza, donuts and coke. Now, 
They're going to be there. Isn't that, isn't that what Babylon teaches us to eat? But they're all really, really nice, but it's not really, really good if you persist in them. And Daniel could see last week that he could eat better by eating the veggies. He had the cabbage and the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts and those other wonderful pieces of food. But can you see what he took in, what he took into himself physically was only a metaphor for what he was taking in, taking in spiritually. Because after 10 days, he turned out healthier, better looking and, and stronger than the other ones that continued to eat from the king's table. So Babylon wants us to continue to eat from its ways and don't forget that Daniel got his name changed. Babylon changes our names uh, to show name changes about belonging, who you belong to. And well, him and his mates had their names changed. So it's got delightful ways, but we've got to be careful of the delightful ways. It's innocent, isn't it, to eat, um, to eat, eat uh, jam and cream on scones? There's nothing, anything wrong with that at all. But what it presents to us is delightful. So remember that when you're eating your jam, you'll never be able to have a, have a jam and scones without this in your mind now, will you? When we're eating the sweet things from Babylon's table, remember that it has delightful ways and delightful rewards, but they are finite. Babylon dismisses a man's future as much as he dismisses the poor. Live for today. Don't care about tomorrow. Buy your lounge suite today. We've talked about that, haven't we? You can start paying for it in five years' time. Think of the, the, the interest you're accruing over that time. Guys, live for today. Don't worry about your future. And if I'm not worrying about my future, I'm not aiming for spiritual conquest. I'm not aiming to get to the other side of life, to, to get to the pearly gates and, uh, and say, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. That's what I want to hear. Babylon determines, uh, determines us such that we can't serve God's ends, but we serve its ends. So those who want to get rich run around uh, making wealth, creating wealth, but that's serving Babylon. because there's no trailer on a hearse, is there? You can't take all those things that, you, that you've uh, hoarded up to heaven with you. So refuse to build upon what God intends to destroy. That's the message from last week. Refuse to build on what God tends to destroy. Now, we've, we've looked at We've looked at the notion or the fact that when God destroys the world next time, he's going to destroy it by fire. So the only thing that's going to destroy, uh, that's going to survive fire, are humans. When God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if he is only going to have humans escape that great conflagration that's to come, who do we build? What do we build upon? We build on building people. It's not the edifices that are created. It's not the opera houses or the St Paul's cathedrals that are going to survive. We can put a lot of our effort into building upon that which will be destroyed. But the wise person now is going to say, oh, I'm going to put my time into people because people are going to live forever body, soul, mind and spirit. So therefore, don't work on the transitory, work on the permanent. 
Now, let me give you a global snapshot of Babylon. And you've got to tell me what, what I left off this list. I'd like to tell you that I did it deliberately as a test, but I'd be lying if I did. So we've got a global uh, snapshot of Babylon today. We have the United Nations. Wherever you see the word united, it's mankind coming together, which was G Genesis 11 in building the Tower of Babel. So we've got the United Nations, you've got the European Union, the Union of the Soviet Socialist Republic, the United Arab Emirates, common, uh, the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth of Nations. Commonwealth means the same, doesn't it? It's united. What was the one I left out? USA. <laughs> Probably the one that I should have put in first. United States. Now, guys, I don't know, I didn't calculate it, but I reckon that's about three quarters of the landmass of this earth that are already using the title United under some sort of banner. Now, understand, that's Babylon. That's, that's a short, not shorthand, that's a sleight of hand to say Babylon. We're going to unite. We still want to unite. They're still building the biggest towers in the world over there on the Tigris rivers, Tigris and Euphrates River. That spirit of Babylon has not been lost. Mankind independent of God. And it's reflected in their names. God has spread mankind across the face of the earth, yet still he seeks to unite without God. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Now, if you ever do your homework on the EU, which we won't do, um, have a look at its intent and what's involved in it and where it would seek to go. Because there's a lot more than just Europe behind the European Union. Now, I've, I've put a little aside in at the moment, reflecting on the coronavirus. It just seems to me a coincidence that as we're talking about the world uniting, which is what it's going to do, what it seeks to do, this whole spirit of Babylon, there's something in the world that's dividing us at the moment, isn't there? Because we can't get from one part to the other part of the world. Now, guys, anybody in here from New Zealand? Good. If, 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 we, if we want to hop on a plane and go to New Zealand, it takes us two and a half hours to get there, and then it takes you two weeks to get out of the hotel. <laughs> now, you could have seen all of New Zealand twice in two weeks, but you've been stopped. Can you see how now mankind's opportunity to continue to spread and unite has been truncated? I don't, who knows where this is going to? But I was just reflecting upon this last night. I think it's fascinating that as we're talking about unity, the unity we seek is actually being destroyed for the time being. And it looks like that destruction of unity is going to multiply. So I've got no idea whether God's behind it or, God, or, or Satan's behind it or it's just an accident. I've got no idea. But there's that little metaphor still happening with the coronavirus in my mind. So how do we keep the focus? Because we, are, we, don't, we live in Babylon and we don't want to get to Jerusalem. Babylon was, uh, Babylon was the ongoing source of evil after the flood. It continues so today. The tree of knowledge was destroyed, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil was replaced by a very mighty rebel that we looked at two weeks ago called Nimrod, whose name meant rebel or tyrant. Now, evil that was outside of mankind's heart 
in Eden quickly found residence in his heart outside of Eden. So Adam had no evil in his heart when he was made. He just had the opportunity to choose. Now, outside of Eden, evil became rampant, which is why God destroyed the world uh, through the flood, the first flood. Now, here's a bit of educated speculation. So you can tell me if I... If you think the logic's falling or failing. Now, evil found a place in the heart of righteous Noah. Because evil was either side of the flood. And when the boat landed on top of Mount Ararat, there were eight people got off board. Got got off the board off board. That's right. Now, in Genesis 6 9, evil is a uh, in Genesis 6-9, Noah is described as a righteous man. Yet in Genesis 9, 20-21, just after the flood, he gets drunk and lays down naked. So there was something going on there that was within Noah. He still had, he's a righteous man, but he got drunk on the fruit of his restoration. He planted grapes and they, they, uh, he, they grew and he got drunk on the wine from his grapes. Now that's a that's a little warning for when God restores you to places. But we're not here to talk about restoration. In 2 Peter, it talks about Noah's other job. Do you know what, other, what his other job was outside of being a carpenter? It's a little piece of trivia. <laughs> yeah, well, he succeeded at that. <laughs> He's had three jobs. <laughs> It says in uh, 2 Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so he imagined Noah building the ark and he's up there, I don't know, 30 metres off the ground wherever the top of the ark was, saying to you guys, you've got to listen to me, I'm building this ark to save the world. Come on board because God's going to destroy this earth. And if you don't follow God that I follow, you too will be destroyed in the flood that he's sending. Now, only eight people got on board. So I don't think many people listen to his preaching on righteousness. Nevertheless, somehow in the midst of his righteousness, evil was carried across the flood in the ark. So, we've got to keep the focus. The focus of where I'm going, because to keep the focus on where I'm going is going to help me put evil out of my sights. Now, Babylon always entices us. Now, this is how God describes Babylon in Revelation 17.5. He doesn't hold back. Babylon is the mother of prostitutes and the abomination and the mother of the abominations of the earth. There's no restraint in that, is there? Now, we know that God talks about homosexuality with that word abomination, but we can't say that. We can't even imagine what God thinks of this earth, but that's his, descri- that's his description. Just before Babylon gets destroyed, which we will look at next week. So if God thinks of Babylon in that manner, you can see God's not messing around. That he will turn up, Jesus will return, there will be an Armageddon, and there will be victory for the saints. Because that's what God's destroying. He is the last judge. Now, 
the good Lord does not hold back on his assessment of Babylon. But look what he says about us. Blessed are those you choose to bring to your courts. Courts of God are the place of his presence, the place of worship, the place of peace. And it's a blessing to be brought to the courts of the Lord. It's a position of favour. The first position of favour is that we escape um, the end of the world. We're caught up in the clouds. The second position of favour is he does that now. We can draw into the Lord's presence and say, Lord, come to me for I'm coming to you. And then you start to get a little taste of heaven. So that helps us keep the focus. I'm going to withdraw to the courts of the Lord. And uh, Jeremiah's plea to the Israelites that are in, the, in the servitude now, slavery, remember the Lord in a distant land and think on Jerusalem. Remember the Lord in a distant land. We guys are in exile. We are in a distant land. The metaphor continues. People do not understand the whole notion of looking to Jerusalem and looking to the city of peace, and that's what I'm seeking. My contentment is found tomorrow. I don't have to pursue my contentment today. If I am looking to Jerusalem, I'm not going to get caught up in the bright lights, the baubles and the bling of Babylon. I have a higher and more permanent city in mind. Now, that Jeremiah 29, that Sharon read out for us, are the instructions for living well in Babylon, and they are simple. The Jews were to be in Babylon and restored to uh, their homeland after 70 years. Three score years and ten. 590, they went into, they went into uh, captivity. 520, they were freed by King Cyrus, and he sent them home. But most of them didn't want to go home. That's another story. Guys, we're all on the spiritual journey. Let's remember this. We do not want to lose the spiritual journey. So the good Lord here has told his people as they lived in Babylon, this is how you live. This is how you don't lose in the journey. This is how you have a conquest over Babylon. The victory is found in your spirit long before the feet will follow. Sorry, I left that feet off. In the, in the slide. What's inside a person's heart is what comes out of their heart. Now, what's in my heart reveals is revealed by my mouth. So the things that I dwell on longest are the things that I'll do. My feet are following where my heart is. So for a man in sin, He's been thinking about sin for a long time in private before it comes out in public. So guys, understand that what's in your spirit makes you vulnerable. If you've got discontent in your spirit, if you've got greed in your spirit, you've got bitterness in your spirit, whatever it is that's unhealthy, it makes you vulnerable for the evil one to come and distract you into the ways of Babylon. So you've got a distracted spirit. You've got a spirit inside of hurt and pain and wounding and rejection. So what do you do? You, you, you head to the bottle or you head to the, ga to the, to the one-armed bandits. We do these things to give us comfort. We head into immorality. We do these things to give us comfort. But that's Babylon saying, I am going to give you contentment if you take drugs. You sit down at the one-armed bandits or whatever. 
But of course you don't. You only get the contentment for the time you're in, the, in, the, in that activity. And then you've got to go back and get it again and again and again until it consumes you. So be careful to guard your heart because that's where your vulnerability lies with what's in it. So if you've got those troubles in your life, you take those troubles to the Lord, that he protects you from, from them. Don't listen to the rules of Babylon, but listen to the invitations of the Lord. So what did he say in Babylon? How do you live well? Build your houses, settle down, plant gardens and enjoy their produce. He also says, marry, give birth and increase. Seek peace and prosperity in the city. Live life as normal. Just get on with your daily routines. But pray for it. Pray for the city of Babylon, the city that you're in. Why? So that it prospers and you do too. God still wants to bring well-being to us and good welfare to us in Babylon. He doesn't want us in poverty. He does not want us in heartache. He wants us to have welfare, one of the other translations says. says. Prosperity and welfare are quite similar in one of the meanings of welfare. So pray for Babylon. Pray for Babylon to repent and turn. Pray for Babylon's peace. And then you too will enjoy Babylon's peace. But do not listen to its religion. Do not listen to its diviners, to its prophets. For the prophets you have that are saying, God said this, but they are lying. Don't listen to them. Stay away from its diviners. Stay away from its prophets because they will take you to Babylon and you'll lose your eyes for, for Jerusalem. So, Jerusalem has plans. Next slide, thanks, Stuart. Jerusalem has plans to prosper his people. It says that in Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and give you a future. Now is that slide legible? Can you see it up the back? Uh, it wasn't quite big enough. Sorry about that. Um, Babylon's in direct contrast to Jerusalem. Babylon wants to hurt us. Jerusalem wants to bless us. That's all God's plans are for God's people in Babylon. Those who live in Babylon, I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and plans to give you a future. Now you couldn't get any better wish than that, and this is God saying, these are my plans for you, us who now are in exile, travelling through Babylon. Next slide, thanks, Stuart. This is probably just as hard to read, isn't it? This is from John 10.10. 10. This is what Jerusalem does. Uh, this is what Babylon does. The thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you'll have it to the full or abundantly, depending upon the translation. So that which the good Lord has for us is good and it's abundant, it's rich and it's of peace. But what does Babylon want to do? The thief, it destroys our well-being, it destroys our future. It makes us restless, it makes us discontent, it makes us distressed, and then it destroys us. God has good plans for us. Babylon, tree of knowledge, Satan, whatever parallel you use, don't. In fact, if thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. So, 
Let's tie this together. Trust God in the godless spaces, the godless places, which is all over the earth. Babylon. We have a trip that we will walk through that God's got for us. But trust God in these godless places. Everybody's trip's going to be different. Different parts of Babylon, different places, different ways in our lives. But we're all passing through the same country. It says in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk for the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy God, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God's with us when we're walking through Babylon, through even the valley of death. Remember, refuse to be like the nations because Babylon is finite. It's not going to last. If we don't stand for something, we will fall for anything. So this world, and so this world catapults headlong down to the abyss. Place of evil. A hollow place somewhere, somehow, sometime. That the Bible talks about in Revelation. If we don't stand for something, we will fall for anything. We have to stand for Jerusalem. We have to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, on Friday I did something really quite wild. I went and spent $20. It might have been Friday, it might have been earlier in the week. To get a haircut. You better watch out, Jeffrey. Uh, <laughs> David. <laughs> we got a haircut. And uh, I think 15 of that $20 went to the search fee. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the, in the chair. And... Uh, the guy who's, who's, who was cutting my hair was a young fella and he was of Middle Eastern appearance. And the other, all the barbers were. They, they speak in languages they don't understand, so they don't have been rude about you, making fun of you, to each other. But anyway, he's a really young fella and he had black on and he had a cross around his neck. Hanging, not even a crucifix, just a cross hanging around his neck. So I thought, oh, here's, a, here's a chat I can have. So I said to him, where are you from, mate? He said, Iran. Well, he had to, had to be in, in Australia all his life because he spoke English very well. I said, Iran. I said, oh, I would have thought that was a Muslim or Islam country. So what's the cross? Why, you, why have you got the cross? And he said, oh, I'm Catholic. Now, next to me, I didn't realise in the chair, you know, just there, there was a big fella, and he was a, a, a man of Middle Eastern appearance as well. And he just yells. Well, he, didn't, he, started, he ended up yelling. He just spoke loudly. He overheard the brief conversation. And he said, there's only one God in the world. I think, oh, yeah, we're on the market here. Uh, there's only one God. You call him Allah or you call him God, but there's only one God in the world. And then I said to them, said, what makes a difference makes Jesus. And I don't like having my conversation spread loudly, so I just spoke to him in a normal, normal, maybe even a softer voice. And he, and he went up another octave then. I think that's what you do in music. You go up octaves, don't you? So he went up a bit louder and he said, um, I had a meeting. There was me and there was a Catholic and there was a born-again Christian. And all that all matters is there's one God. Uh, Jesus is either a prophet or he's the son of God. But it doesn't matter because there's only one God. And I said, no, mate, it does matter. Jesus is the one the way it gets sorted. 
And then he, he gets up, he stands up, takes off his, uh, his cloth around his neck. I'm glad it was near the end of his haircut, actually. And he's a big man, he's a big, fearsome fella. You see, coming down the road to you, cross over, you know. And uh, he said, in a very loud voice, a half the shopping centre must have heard him, he said, there is only one God, that's it, just one God, and walked out. Now, I was thankful for that small but loud mercy when he worked out. Can you see that's Babylon? Saying, <clears throat> one denying Jesus Christ, and two saying they're all the same. We're all the same with religion. Doesn't matter, it's all the same. So, I could have fallen for that, or I could have stood up for that. So I tried to stand up for it. If we don't stand for something, we will fall for anything. Guys, these days are the days of choice. Grace still flows. These are the days of no turning back. And they're getting closer and closer. So a takeaway from here, to those exiled, every person here and every person not here, to those exiled, remember the Lord in a faraway land and think on Jerusalem. Why? Because living and walking in faith... Next slide, thanks, uh, Stuart. Living and walking in faith and non-conformity, which was me sitting in a barber's chair yesterday, living and walking in faith and non-conformity in Babylon is not for the faint-hearted. Because Babylon demands we conform. Can you read that one up the back? Jeffrey, you can get that? Yeah. Right, well, please, one out of three is not a bad strike, right, is it? Um, A.W. Pink said... The closer I am walking with Christ, the more shall I be misunderstood, ridiculed and detested by the world. Thus, to take up my cross to head to Jerusalem, which is what Jesus was doing, means that I deliberately caught the enmity of the world through my refusing to be conformed to it. So how do we walk in Babylon, guys? How do we travel through Babylon? You've got a few hints in Jeremiah 29, but in the long one, we refuse to be conformed to its ways. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you that you've put us on a very clear path with very clear understanding of how you think, which is easier to grasp, Lord, when you teach it to us. Oh, Lord, that you would strengthen each one of our souls and hearts and minds, that, Father, we too will not be conformed to the ways of this world, but will be shaped by Jerusalem, the city and the place of peace. Amen. Last one next week, guys. If you want to look at Revelation 18, get a heads up.